Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. So our theme for the year is Wisdom Builds the House. And it's such an important theme because uh, you can be building that house of your life uh, with God and it be brick upon brick so that in the years to come, you look back and go, oh my gosh, look what happened here. And then also wisdom builds God's house, the church. There's a way to do it. God has guidelines, principles. Most Christians like to go outside of those, but some of us know we need to hold to them. And if we hold to them and you build God's house well, then what God has for you grows in impact. And then God continues to open uh, the opportunities as we do it wisely. So wisdom will build your personal house, but wisdom builds God's house. And wisdom is not to be bypassed, it's to be implemented. You know, you can have knowledge about God. You can read a Bible and have knowledge. Like you can go, I know about that historically. I know about that. I read it. But having wisdom is completely different to knowledge. It's completely different. I met people who are very educated, but five minutes into the conversation, I'm like, wow. (laughs) Wow, you know a lot, uh, but there's no wisdom. And, uh, and in actual fact, I remember being on a train. I told this story before. I was on a train in the north of England. I think I was speaking up in Manchester and I got a train back to London. And uh, one of the top psychiatrists in the country was sitting directly in front of me being interviewed by the BBC film crew. And I was sitting directly behind him and thought, this will be interesting. I thought to myself, and it was completely interesting. So I was only in my early 30s and they're interviewing him. They're all excited, the film crew. And as he began to speak, he had all the knowledge, all the degrees. And then they asked about him about his life, his children's lives, his grandchildren. And it just, it was like a lead balloon in the carriage as had knowledge, but the application did not occur even in his own life. And I can see the film crew who were so excited taking our notes. This guy's the, one of the top psychiatrists. And they were like, all right, then what happened? And he was like, well, then, then what happened to them? And then the family, his children, it was a nightmare. And I thought, wow, all the knowledge, all the knowledge without God, all the knowledge without God, and then no application of it. And now he was actually... He was in a massive problem himself. And the actual, this was really not good, but the film crew after a while, they were sitting there and then they all kind of packed up and said, well, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much. And they got up and left the carriage and went to the next carriage. And I thought they were overwhelmed. Their expectation was high, but it was not met because there was knowledge, but no wisdom. You can be a Christian knowledge, but wisdom only comes after application. Wisdom only comes after application. So wisdom builds the house, but you won't be wise till you apply it. And that's why you meet some Christians and you're like, what's the challenge with this person? They know a lot, but they don't apply. Then you meet other people who they just got started and already they're applying that, they're applying this, they're applying that, they're applying that. And you're like, hey, you're 18. How on earth did you get here? And they're like, well, isn't this what everybody does? No, it's not. Because it's about the application of the knowledge that brings wisdom and understanding. And that wisdom is what will build the house of your life and build the church in Jesus' Name. So I'm gonna read to you from Mark chapter 10. And my title today is, Ultimate Wisdom is Choosing What He Wants for You. 
Ultimate wisdom is choosing what He wants for you. Mark chapter 10, verse 46 says this, Then they came to Jericho, and as He, Jesus, was leaving Jericho with His disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road, as was his custom. When Bartimaeus heard that uh, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, Son of David, Messiah, have mercy on me. Many sternly rebuked him, telling him to keep still and be quiet, but he kept on shouting out all the more, Son of David, Messiah, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, telling him, take courage, get up. He is calling for you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said these words, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Don't you love this passage? Here's Jesus surrounded by a very large crowd. Yet in the middle of the crowd, He hears a voice crying out. And Jesus, full of compassion again, says, hey, hey, um, bring Him here. He calls out, bring Him here. Call Him, go and get Him, bring Him to me. And then Jesus says the most amazing thing to a blind man. He's blind. He's blind, right? And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) um, Here's a clue. (laughs) Jesus says to a blind man crying out, what do you want me to do for you? Why did Jesus do that? Because Jesus knows there are greater questions and greater things to be asked and also for the man to ask himself. By the way, sickness in those days, many times people would attribute sickness, blindness, problems to as it being a judgment from God. Jesus spoke against that all the time. They would say, is this because of your sin, your parents' sin? And they would pronounce judgments. People would be like Job's friends. All of this is coming upon you because you did something wrong. No, that's karma. That's not Christianity. And, uh, and Jesus did not uh, say to the man, hey, this is your fault in any way, by the way. So, so what's happening is he's saying, what do you want me to do for you? Because when Jesus heals you, there is a responsibility. There may be challenges for you. There are challenges for you when you get, start to get well. Who started to get well and had challenges? You're not, you're not necessarily physically blind, but you start to have challenges in getting well. Here was the blind man's first challenge even before Jesus healed him. The, the Bible tells us that people began to cry out and try and shut him down. They're like, stop yelling, stop calling him, stop uh, shouting out. They were saying, be quiet to that man. You need to realise that God's call on your life, if you start to walk into it, if you start to walk into it, if you step beyond just going to church, but you're in God's house and in God's church going, hang on, I have a calling in the house of God, which is Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. That's what pastors are here to do. I'm here to equip you for your ministry. If you read the Bible, you're not there to be equipping the pastors. We're here to equip you. That's our role. Sometimes it gets around the wrong way in the kingdom. Everybody thinks I'm going to come and equip you to just do your ministry preaching. No, no, no. When Paul spoke to the five ministry gifts, he said, your role is to equip uh, 
what is it, apostles, pastors, teachers, prophets and evangelists, your role is to equip the body of Christ for their ministry. That is our calling. So we're here to help you in your calling. And by the way, sometimes ask the question and come and have make a coffee and say, hey, what should I be doing this year? What's God's plan for me now? And we'll be praying and working with you to see that happen. But then also your calling out in the community. Uh, you know, you might be a doctor, you might be a, a PT, you might be a mum, the best ministry of all. <laughs> full-time mum, full-time dad. Right? Come on, we've got to get with it. It's 2023, right? Um, but whatever it is, you might, you, know, you might be working in finance. Whatever your calling is, you need to realise there's one in the house of God and there's one out. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 says, equip them for works of service in the community and then for the work of the building up of the body of Christ. What a calling. But God's calling will always attract critics who will try and cool you down or stop you coming to Jesus. And that's exactly what they were doing to the blind man who really represents for us the spiritually blind. When you can't see God, I had no clue about Christianity. When my mother became a Christian, I just thought, what is she talking about? Has she been taking drugs? Does she have dementia early onset? What's the story with this woman? What is she talking about? I couldn't understand it at all. And I just thought she'd gone crazy. When in actual fact, the fact was I was blinded. I had no spiritual insight. You can have insight about your body. You can have insight about, you know, um, you know a certain subjects in history. But you, spiritual insight is totally different. It's not natural. It's supernatural. And so we need to say, God, help me to have spiritual insight. So when I became a Christian and finally just logically actually came to Christ, because I was like, wow, you changed the whole world. <laughs> How long did you speak for Jesus? Three years. Wow. Okay, still trying to get my driver's licence. Um, changed the world. Two to three billion people follow you. So logically for me, it was, if you created me, which is what the Bible said, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I'm like, you got plans for me. Then Genesis said, I was made in His image. I'm creating His image. He has a plan for me. And I'm thinking, well, it would be intellectually very foolish and unwise to try and come up with a plan that I was created for myself when you already made me for something, created me for something, gave me the gifts and talents, then I'm gonna try and come up with something myself. Uh, no, I'll have the plan you have if it's real. And if you're real. In Jesus' Name. And so as I made that decision and prayed that prayer, that over that week, God really touched my heart. I could feel His love. I could feel His forgiveness. It was supernatural. I was, it was unexpected. And then, uh, but what happened, I realised is a lot of my friends who were dysfunctional and family, that as I began to get healed, some of my friends didn't like it. They were like, I preferred you when you were dysfunctional. <laughs> I liked you drunk. What's wrong with you? I preferred it when you were like practically alcoholic. I liked it when you were, you know, they liked me better then. And here I was now walking towards the Lord and I was starting to get sane. Well, at that time, let's say reasonably. Okay, mediocre. Um, I was always on a roller coaster emotionally and mentally and now I was getting this stability happening. But I was watching other people around me get convicted by the change in me. And they were kind of chill that down. So the blind man, I had people shouting at me, shut up, <laughs> stop going forward, stop doing the church thing. Come back to who we knew you as because you make us feel better. So he had critics. Also, here's the thing, that the blind man would have lost his income stream. He would be in that place with his cup and his cloak. People would have known there's the blind guy. So his income stream would be 
removed. People aren't going to give to you now that you see, so he's going to lose his financial income stream. Uh, I'd say predominant one. Uh, also to him seeing would mean people would have a higher expectation of him. You think about that. When he's blind, they would have had lesser uh, expectation. And then now you see, well, it'd be now like, get up, you know, and we're not giving you any money because now you see like we see. So he would also have a higher expectation. His relationships, I imagine, would have changed or lack of relationships or relationships with people who helped keep him broken on the inside, um, which, you know, would have held him down. Well, that's going to change. He would lose you know, I would imagine you'd, he would have some excuses as to why he couldn't do stuff. He would be challenged to lose those excuses. You know, um, you guys see me now up here like an angel. And um, <laughs> when I got saved, I was so broken and so rebellious and so attitudinal, like in and out of church, swapping church, doing this, doing that. And, uh, and one of the things that was a challenge to me was that now as a Christian, God was working in my life. I had all the excuses in the world to be dysfunctional, stay the rebel that I was and all that. When you grow up in an abusive home, like I grew up severely abusive childhood, you know, locked in bedrooms, watching abuse, watching my father trying to kill my brother, like massive violence. You have every excuse to just roll over and... And then Jesus is in my life now and the Lord's like saying to me, because I'm like, look... You know, I've got so many issues, Lord. I don't know if you can use me. <laughs> and the Lord's like, he's like, look, Jared, I see you as a victor. I don't see you as a victim anymore. And that was hard to hear because my victim was my identity. It was my security blanket. I'm a victim. And the reality was I was a victim of my family's pain, unintended to come to me, I'm sure. I don't think they were planning to do that. But so are many of you. You're victims of pain. It's not taking away our pain, not taking away our suffering. God doesn't, God doesn't dismiss it and say that was nothing. He doesn't. He knows that we suffered. But He just says, give me your suffering. Give me your suffering. Give it to me and I'm going to help you now and give me your excuses. And by the way, that's not overnight, that deal. That's a, that's a walk in that out for about, oh my gosh, 35 years. Anyway, <laughs> so you kind of, you're walking that out. Lord, here's my excuses. Let me give that to you. And, uh, and so the blind man would have had that as well. He would have had excuses, but I had to say, Lord, help me now be that victor. And you know, I said to God, Lord, I had a terrible childhood, so much abuse. What are you going to do about that? And here's what God said to me. And I was waiting for God, I don't know, to come up with some, birthday party plan or something, you know, streamers party. And God, and God said to me straight out in that park when I sat there and said that to him, God said to me, Jared, I cannot give you childhood back. Boom. And because uh, I'd had so much deception in my childhood, I was really pleased to hear that because I suddenly realised, well, you can't. You can't give me my childhood back. That's right. You can't. And God said, I can't. It's embarrassing to go through puberty at 31 with streamers and sparklers. <laughs> Being a little kid again. <laughs> and God said to me, I can't give you that. Here's what He did say to me though. If you give me your life and you give me your pain and you give me your past, I can give you a new life. 
<laughs> okay, here's the old life. It's just rubbish. I don't think you want it. But anyway, <laughs> take my old life. I'll take the deal, Jesus, of the new life. It, what door is that door for? I'll take door four. And in door four, there's a new life. If you leave that there with me, if you leave that there with me, leave that there with me. Some of us are too busy visiting the, our past yesterday, the, the death, the sadness. And you guys heard me, Irish Catholic family, as a kid, the amount of times I had a picnic at the graveyard was just ridiculous. We'd go to the graveyard in Sydney and have a picnic at the graveyard. I was always at cemeteries. <laughs> so odd. And then my family would always be like, oh, we loved her, God, she was lovely, we loved him, oh my goodness. Then I'd say, what about Uncle so-and-so who's alive? Oh yeah, we don't like him. We always didn't like the people who were alive, only the ones who were dead. Everybody who was dead, they were all angels. I was like, oh my gosh. Anyway, how funny is this, right? You ready for this? When I said that, whenever that was last time, Sue said to me, you know when you said about your family had uh, picnics at the cemetery all the time? I said, yeah, they did. She goes, my first date with you, with your family, was at the cemetery. <laughs> I said to Sue, please tell me it wasn't. She goes, it was. She goes, it was at that Rookwood place in Sydney. I went, that's it. She goes, yeah, I went there. You guys, we all sat around and had sandwiches near the graves. I was like, oh, I apologise. <laughs> Have we done better since then? <laughs> but here's what was happening, everybody. Listen, that was really a metaphor for where we lived. In the past, in sadness, in regret. And really, if we all died and left the planet because it was all so bad, that probably would have been better. So we were more at home with the dead than with the living. Some of us are more at home with the dead around our lives than we are with Christians who are living. <laughs> Many of us are like, the Christians are alive. Oh, you're so annoying. <laughs> I get that too. When I got, became a Christian, went to church, I didn't like any of you. You all had kind of weird smiles kind of happening. Well, they were weird to me. When you're miserable and you don't smile, anybody who smiled was suspicious. <laughs> what, are they, what are they up to? That Christian's kind of got this smiley thing going on. What's that? What are you smiling for? Uh, something wrong here, something wrong here. And then I became a smiler, <laughs> which was like, wow. <laughs> I remember looking in the mirrors once going, gee, fresh, <laughs> smiling thing. Anyway, wisdom, wisdom builds the house. But wisdom is discovering, listen, daily, not what we want. Even though he asks the blind man, what do you want? And he does ask us, what do you want? Wisdom is discovering daily what he wants. That's wisdom, what he wants. Oh my gosh. Then when you discover it, which is not his knowledge of him, then you apply it, walk in at whatever it is, then suddenly on the other side, you have understanding and you're like, oh, gee, I never saw that. And God said, that's because my wisdom is after you've applied my word and then I give you the revelation. So what does that mean too? That means challenges because um, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. We all think, of, we think if we go through McDonald's and there's three cars stacked there in the drive-thru. I've taken up my cross today, Lord. <laughs> I'm in the drive-thru. I've got three cars stuck here and I'm being patient. Aren't I good? And Jesus says, that's actually not the cross I'm talking about. <laughs> Taking up your cross means you staying committed to people when you want to walk. It means keeping 
serving and loving when you feel offended. What is offence? You guys learn it from me over and over again. Fences. God gave me that one early on. Whenever I'm offended, really what it is, is I'm trying to control people's responses and words to me. And the Lord said to me, can you lose your control? That'd be great. Here's what wanting what God wants. Wanting what God wants, wisdom. Firstly, He wants to give you hope. God wants to give you hope. Everybody, God wants to give you hope. There's a hope that God gives. It's like, it's a bit spectacular because it's not just like a little hope I can pay my gas bill or a little hope. It's a hope for your future. If you have children, their future. It's a hope that your life will matter on planet Earth the way it's meant to. Can I just say to everybody here right now, you're significant. I wanna give you that hope from God's Word today. God has a plan for you. You are significant, but it's not in you finding your significance. It's in Him revealing your significance. You are significant to God. He wants you to see both physically and spiritually. So this, the story of this blind Bartimaeus is really God saying to us, I wanna open your eyes. I wanna open your eyes, but I'm not gonna force you. What do you want? Here's the other one. He wants you to, he wants you in relationship with him. He wants you walking securely in his plan. He wants your name written in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible tells us that in the book of Revelation, and then Luke 10 talks about it, that when you come to Christ and put your faith and trust in him, your name gets written in the Lamb's book of life. Oh my gosh. And then at the end of time, when the book is opened, they're going to go, hey, Luke Gilbert. Wow, you made them by the skin of your teeth. <laughs> when Luke came into church as a teenager, he was, he was out in the world. And he came into church, mum brought him, good on your Trish, prayed him in. And then Luke today, what a great man of God he is. What a great man of God you are, Luke. You're awesome. And that night, all those years ago, Luke's name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but Luke also stepped up and said, Lord, what do you want for me? He stepped up and said, Lord, help me to want what you want. And now you're an incredible blessing to a multitude of people. Everybody, old ways won't open new doors. Old ways won't open new doors. And remember, when people come against you, as you step up and say, hey, I wanna have that. I wanna walk in what God has me. I wanna walk in that purpose. Remember, when they say it's impossible, remember this, it's impossible for them who don't understand. It's not impossible for you who is now walking with the God of the impossible. It doesn't matter what you've done. What matters is what you choose to do from today. Doesn't matter what you've done. What matters is what you choose to do from today. Viktor Frankl, who is such an incredible man who survived Auschwitz, let's put it that way, and then came out and spoke about the experience of being in Auschwitz and surviving such the most horrendous time that humanity probably has seen when so many Jewish people were killed disgracefully, horrendously. And he said, the meaning of life is to give life meaning. The meaning of life is to give life meaning. Can I just say this? Let's just paraphrase it with the Bible. The meaning of life is to let Jesus Christ show you the meaning of your life. The meaning of your life. Jesus wants to show you the meaning of your life. Oh my gosh, for my broken little suburb in Sydney, um, 
in the you know council flat, worst area. Just such a small life. I didn't go to a restaurant until I was 16. I'd never been. Half of your children have been there 14,000 times and I didn't go to 16. No. So I never got to, none. So, and then God, as I begin to follow Him, then reveals to me and passes around me, are hey, you going to be involved in overseas? <laughs> nations. I'm like, nations? <laughs> I'm from here. And then here we are today. Start, Sue and I started in London, Hillsong Church then Perth, then Zambia, then we're in Rwanda with our children's ministry. Then we're in, we're in, we're in, we're in Melbourne, Montreal, like Hamburg, Germany. Like what? What? Because God gave meaning to my life when I was conceived, but then He began to reveal it when I was saved. How we spend our days is of course how we spend our lives. How we spend our days is of course how we spend our lives. Your days right now, look at them. Is God in the middle of it? Do you start your day with your Bible app? Are you letting go of the past as I did and still have to do today? Letting go of any kind of hurts and things. I got no time to carry hurt. No time for that because the days are going. But I want to encourage you that what you're doing with your life now is how you're going to, what you're doing with your days now is how you look back and say, I spent my life. So maybe right now we need to begin, to begin. You need to begin. So let's begin. In Jesus' Name. The blind man said to Jesus, he said, Rabboni, my Master, Let me regain my sight. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith and confident trust in my power has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following Jesus on the road. He had physical sight loss, which Jesus knew was secondary to his spiritual loss of sight. When Jesus opened his eyes, it wasn't just his physical eyes, it was his spiritual eyes. And he began to follow Jesus. Don't let other things get in the way, everybody, of you knowing Jesus and then walking in His plan now. By the way, if you're a believer, when we get up to heaven, we've got stuff to do. Did you know that? When we get up to heaven, we're not going to just, we're going to be sitting. I know you've been looking at those cloud books where people are floating along. Some of you are like, when I go up there, I'm kicking back, you know. But, but when we get to heaven, there's going to be stuff to do in eternity. But right now, this is prep. I think there's a lot of Christians who you get, you're prepping, you're serving, you're carrying week in, week out, year in, year out, month in, month out. When you get to heaven, you're going to go, hey, I'm good to go. But there's a whole lot of Christians going to get up to heaven and go, huh? I thought I was sitting on a cloud up here. (laughs) She said, no, no, no. I've been prepping you on earth for what you're going to be doing up here. And you're going to go, really? Um, uh," And Jesus is going to say, what were you doing in my house? Uh, <laughs> what were you doing in the community for me? We're going to go, you know, uh, uh, we'll blame, we'll start blaming somebody. Uh, yeah, I was going to, but my wife, my, my husband, uh, it was the children, the children. Um, and one of the pastors, let's pick one. No, no. <laughs> Them. Jesus said, no, no, no. What did you do? What did you do? And then he says, well, here's what I got for you to do now in eternity. It's going to be busy. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be big. 
Mark 8. For what does it benefit a man or a woman to gain the whole world with all its pleasures and forfeit his or her soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul and eternal life in God's kingdom? For whoever is ashamed here and now of me and my words, Jesus says, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him or her when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. Everybody, there is nothing more important than your relationship with God. That house at Dunsborough that you're after, the house at Margaret River that we'd all like. (laughs) By the way, if you'd like to give me one, that would be fine. (laughs) Take it off your hands. That Maserati car you guys would like. Look, all that stuff, you know, God's not saying, hey, don't want things. He's, he hasn't got a problem with things. But what He's saying is, just have everything in priority order. And in relationship to Him, His purpose and plan for you and His salvation is the most important thing in the universe. We've been oversold on the value of more and undersold on the value of less particularly when it comes to salvation. Because Jesus says this, He says, if you lose your life, you'll find it. If you lose your life, you'll find it. So we're like, I don't wanna lose my life. I wanna lose my life. Everybody, here's what I discovered. The life that I thought was so amazing and party me when I was younger, I was partying, (laughs) all the wrong places, but partying. All of that, when I got near Jesus and walked with Him, I'm like, oh my gosh, what a waste of time. I've been wasting my time wasting my life. And when God said, the life I have for everybody is an exciting adventure with me. Don't be a Christian on the fringe. It's far too boring. I'd be bored to death being a fringy Christian. Couldn't take it. No supernatural, no power, nothing. But when you're in the middle of it, walking along, doing what Jesus called you to do, you know, this is God, this is amazing. Everybody here right now, you're significant in God's plan. You have a purpose in God's plan. You are are significant beyond what you know, but you just need help maybe connecting with our pastoral team to say, hey, what do I need to get up and do right now in 2023? I still laugh when I was with Justin Rwanda years ago. For those who know, Justin is our fourth son, our Rwandan son. We sponsored him when he's six. He now is a pastor with us. And he's really become my spiritual son that God's given us. And he's bought our land in Zambia. Amazing. But I was walking along with him in Rwanda and I'll never forget, God's sense of humour. Because when I was a kid, when my parents would fight, I remember looking up the program in the paper to see when James Bond was on. I just wanted to watch James Bond movies because it was kind of like you'd go somewhere. You'd get, I felt like I'd escaped my parents, escaped my family. So I remember watching in black and white James Bond movies and then they went colour and it was, oh my gosh, how exciting. And, uh, and so James Bond was always a thing for me. And then I was telling Justin, walking down the street in Rwanda, just what am I doing in Rwanda? And here you are now working for me. You become our son. We sponsored you years ago. Now you work for us. Now you become a pastor. What a, this is amazing. And I told him about the James Bond thing. And he's like, well, Dad, that was a good movie. I'll have to look it up. And I said, yeah, you need to watch it, bro. I said, because, uh, you know, God back then put in me that there was more in my life. Anyway, when I walked to the hotel in Rwanda with Justin, he comes in and the person comes out and says, oh, Pastor Ed, welcome back. Take you to your room. They took me to my room. When I go to the room, Justin's with me and on the door, it's got 007. And I was like, I was like this. 
How funny are You, Lord, in Kigali, Rwanda, to remind me that even when I was a child, what You put in me then, in the midst of chaos in my family, You would spark it throughout my life and use me and You and us in what we're doing now for children in Rwanda and around the world. Can you give the Lord a hand for His amazing plan for you? Come on and give Him a bigger hand, His amazing plan for you. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.